Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy New Uniforms Week. Happy New Uniforms Week. I know we talked about uniforms last week with Andy um, in advance of the uniforms. Now we get to talk about them after the uniforms have been released. Um, a lot of great stuff, a lot of great reactions, a lot of... I'm. Said I, I know you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, online already. But I think my, my only concern is the orange word mark. If we got rid of that, I think they'd be almost perfect. They're a little busy and a little Cleveland Brownsy now, but still, I think a, a big upgrade from what we had, um, and a nice way to kind of merge the uh, the past, present, and future um, yeah, aesthetically. And I thought the video with Dino was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, whoever put together the video really killed it. Um, the uniforms, I definitely think they're an upgrade overall. Uh, what a difference a normal font makes. Um, I don't think they're like going to be cracking any like best uniforms in the country list, but then they're very clean. I think they still look very modern, which was a, the, the main advantage of the last ones. It gets the, the recruits uh, excited, um, but it brings in these like classic elements. Um, I don't mind looking kind of like the Browns. Like, there are only so many uniform templates out there. I don't mind looking like the Browns. Um, I actually kind of like the Browns starting uniforms. Uh, and clearly that's what Nike was going for. Um, it's a little weird that they decided to harken back to a look like the uh, the shoulder stripes I could do without, I think, overall, if only because it would remind me of the start of my Syracuse fandom, which was the <laughs> Robinson era. Um, See, I like those uniforms, though, oddly, as much as like the, the results were terrible. I like the ones after them. I think the ones after them, the, the late Maroon uniforms, yeah. were probably well, well, the best we've had in a while. Well, because those were like the... like. Like th- that's really what people wanted when they wanted an updated version of the '90s uniforms, because that's really what those were. Yeah, aside from like the drop shadow, which right. we're not going to get back because that's just such a '90s look. No one's going to wear that now. Um, but no, I, I overall don't have very many complaints. I think uh, I think these are solid. Uh, I think the rollout was was good. I know we had, we had some some you know slight hangups on the whole thing, but I think for what it was, they did a really nice job with it uh, by all accounts. Um, yeah, the, the one thing I would do is get rid of the orange nameplate on the front. Uh, it, I, it's not the end of the world. It's not terrible. Um, but I think it does make that area of the uniform busy, um, and especially with the S uh, on the collar right above it and then the numbers right below it. Um, but overall, like, I, I think it's a solid like BB plus, and I'll, I'll, I'm excited to see them on the field. Yeah, because I think the old uniforms are probably like a C-. minus. Um, well, some of the combos were even worse than that. I'd say the Platinums were, were an F. But, yeah. uh, and these, like, all the combos they rolled out, like, they all look at least pretty good. Like, I don't yeah. think there are any that look terrible. No, I mean, I still... I'm wondering where the blue helmets are, uh, because I actually do like those. Um, if we're going to go the all-orange on the bottom, um, I, I don't mind the blue helmet kind of balancing that out. I think it's a little bit of Oregon State and Oklahoma State here, a little bit of Browns. But still, like, I think, too, like, I don't obviously don't know anything about you know, how far this negotiation was along when they started planning. But considering like the new Nike deal just got announced, Nike's not necessarily going to create new uniforms, um, you know, super far in advance for a school that they're not locked in with long term, um, at least on paper. So I wouldn't doubt it if, if SU kind of, you know, not completely had to go with some existing templates, but maybe more locked into existing templates than they normally would have been if, you know, they had been locked in and then a year later introduced new uniforms, which again, I, I think everything worked out, but just maybe something to consider uh, w- when we wonder um, about certain template aspects here. Yeah. And even so, like we haven't had a fully unique jersey probably since the classic 90s uniforms. Like the ones that I was talking about before, the late G-Rob ones were basically LSU's uniforms in different colors. Um, these last ones we had were very uh, similar to what uh, Arizona had when we got them and then Illinois got them after us. The ones before that, Illinois already had when we got them. So um, they've been like, you know, there's there's always going to be uh, some other programs that have something similar aside from a couple of different elements. Um, so, you know, it's it's a lot to ask. If you're, you know, Syracuse, it's a lot to ask that you're going to get your entire own uniform, especially when it's not like this one look that we've had the whole time, like a Michigan or an Alabama or one of those type of schools. Yeah, I mean, my, I guess my last things on this, I will say, um, again, I, I, I really like the, the helmet stripe. I don't love the shoulder stripe as much, and I know you agree. Um, I wish the 
I hope the blue helmet shows up. Maybe it's like a one-off game. And also like speaking of like, we haven't had the same look. I do hope that under the new Nike contract that Syracuse football and, ba- and men's basketball in particular can wear some different things other than the base uh, uniform sets. Cause they do feel like, um, I feel like Syracuse lacrosse gets throwbacks. I feel like women's basketball gets to wear a script. Um, it's always confusing why the men's basketball and, uh, and football teams don't necessarily get a lot of variation in there. I think some classic looks, you know, um, whether it's the blank helmet, which I don't really need, I guess, especially now that we look like the Browns, um, or, you know, some of like the old, like 44 ish helmets. Like we had a couple of weird logos in there. Like I wouldn't mind seeing one of those here and there. Cause all it is is really just a decal, um, on the current helmets. I think it could be, could be fun for like a one-off, but again, I, I, I don't, Knowing Syracuse, I don't necessarily expect to see much of it, unfortunately. Yeah, especially not year one of these. I, I kind of think we're going to see some variations of the three new sets, and then maybe in the ne- in the next couple of years, we'll see more uh, additions to that that rotation, um, different logos and whatnot. I would I would love to see. I, I like the one thing from the last couple of years I really enjoyed was that uh, the forty four uh, kind of military style axe logo. Um, that we did with uh, with Fort uh, Fort Drum, so I wouldn't mind seeing that return in some capacity because I thought that apparently was apparently that's dead. Yeah, I know. I, I don't like. I like that was like the one thing I thought that was really cool and unique that like tied in a lot of unique elements that that we focus on as a program. So we just undermarketed it too, which like always always confusing. Yep, I, that that's you know the the way the way things go here. <laughs> Um, so moving away from Syracuse a little bit, at least in the, you know, immediate, immediate term, um, plenty of things happened in the past week for Syracuse, for other programs and for, uh, a program that we used to care about. Now we don't necessarily, uh, UConn, UConn finally decided that they're gonna, you know, take their football program out back, uh, <laughs> well, figuratively in this case, because it's still going to operate as an FBS independent for now. Um, uh, but the basketball program is headed back to the big East much to uh, the joy of no escalators and plenty of other um, UConn fans out there. I think, uh, I think this is a smart move for them. I kind of talked about it on the site of how it could potentially affect Syracuse from a New York city recruiting standpoint, Dan, as a Connecticut um, and, and knowing that you also despise UConn at this point, um, how do you feel about this move? Do you think it's the right one? Do you think, um, do you think that, that the football is basically dead as a result of this? So, as a as a Connecticut cutter, um, I am I am in no position to speak for UConn fans. It seems like they are mostly very happy with this, and I get it. I would caution them uh, in thinking that this is going to be what solves all of UConn basketball all of UConn's basketball problems. Um, I don't think being in the AAC has been what has hurt UConn. I don't know that. Uh, I mean, you could make the argument that it's made it harder to, to recruit in the in the Northeast, and and that's possibly true. But UConn just like the, the their struggles, I think, have more to do with with Ollie not working out, with uh, a weird transition from uh, him to Hurley. Um, there's just short uh, memories from recruits, like even though they won a recent national title, it was kind of caked in a, a poor end of the Calhoun era and some like down recruiting in those last couple of years. Um, I just don't see like, like the biggest a good league, but it's still being very much carried by Villanova. Like you've seen Georgetown, which has not performed well since the Big East split off. Um, very similar to what UConn's done, probably actually worse. Uh, they haven't had this huge bump. Marquette just, you know, had a, a nice year last year and lost in the first round. Like these other schools haven't had this like huge bump up from where they were, or some of them haven't even really sustained where they were. With you've got with uh, the Big East being this basketball focused thing, um, so now UConn like maybe it'll help a little bit in the interim. I think it will help in fan support. You've already seen their donations go up pretty. Uh, they you know people have been tweeting about it. They've they've gotten you know a big donation boost, but that's not going to sustain if they don't um, if they don't start to win more games. Uh, and the Big East also isn't like appreciably more or less different. Like the AAC is a pretty good league. It's just weird and what's, what's dumb, but it's like, it, it's a pretty high performing group of our uh, mid-major league um, kind of on the cusp. I mean, it was probably better than the Pac-12 last year. Um, so I, I just, I, I get why they did it. Uh, they very much folded to fan pressure, which isn't always the worst thing as an athletic department. I think 
that those who think that this is like the solution to all of their problems um, are kind of kidding themselves. Like maybe it will be, but it's not like a lock. And yeah, then, these sound like Maryland fans when they left the the ACC. Like the fan pressure is, leads to like do the you know like they, they basically said the Big Ten is the solution, and then look at Maryland now, and they're the same like garbage program that they were when they left. At least Maryland fans point to like the money, right? Um, UConn, like I, the the payouts aren't like they're not going to be making much more money, right? They're like, making well, they're making less money. They're going to be yeah, making I mean, less money. Football situation well, ends up being. They're going to be making less money for more exposure. They also have to pay a $10 million exit fee. They also have to sign a clause that says they have to pay a larger exit fee from the Big East. There's also the fact that uh, after this coming season, football is going to be significantly harder to fund. Um, Football's going to be harder to fund. It's going to be um, for all that they make up. And I know that their fans who were supporting this don't really care about football, um, but they're not, they're not getting rid of it like tomorrow. So where they make up uh, some money in travel costs, um, they're probably going to put it right back in, in football travel costs. Says, who are you going to sign? You're going to play UMass every year, which is close. Um, you're going to probably try to focus on Northeastern schools, I think. Which, good, well, but like, good luck there, because yeah, if you look at all these schools, well, not that many, and most of them are already booked. Yeah, we're not booked. We're probably going to end up sedging them pretty soon again. <laughs> um, Penn State's booked up for a long time. That was um, Pitt. Pitt's booked up for a long time. Vatek um, is, BC is, Rutgers yeah, is. <laughs> you can you can make the argument the AAC uh, is are the like is like Temple going to be super quick to uh, to add UConn to the schedule? Maybe they won't care that UConn's leaving because honestly, like the AAC wasn't getting a lot out of this UConn thing anyway. Uh, they didn't <laughs> seem super broken up about it. But like, are they going to be like really cool with their football programs like scheduling UConn right off the bat? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and then what? You have BYU, who's probably going to be on the schedule almost every year, I would guess. Uh, that's a long trip. You Liberty, have, New Mexico State. <laughs> Liberty, New Mexico State. You probably have to do some Hawaii stuff. These are not close schools. Um, Liberty's not a bad trip, but it's not like down the street. So that's what you're looking at for the football program when they turn independent, because apparently Conference USA and the MAC have already basically said we're good. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're going to be looking at Sunbelt. Like that's not any better. So. Um, this is a tough. This is a tough draw for UConn football. Randy Edsel made that very clear without actually saying it in his uh, in his letter uh, or his Twitter note uh, after this all happened. Um, he's clearly not happy. The AAC obviously wasn't like like they weren't winning, but at least it was a home and it was a decent competitive league with some you know some things you could recruit against and you could hope to, to find some money in a bottle somewhere. Um, I would be very surprised if UConn still had FBS football in, I, I've been saying, 15 years, and that's being conservative. Yeah, I'm going to go with, I feel like the new TV contracts, and when they don't have any, like, pickup, I mean, granted, like, it doesn't really matter, they're opting out of the TV contract they're currently in, but I just feel like the new TV contracts are going to show, like, who's actually willing to sign deals, and, like, if SNY will probably own uh, some of their local rights... And then they'll probably do some kind of ESPN Plus thing, if I guess. That's yeah, which, 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 if they end up doing an ESPN Plus thing, that's just as bad as what they had. Right. And SNY is, like, good for the local fans, but it's not going to pay out that much. No, it's um, not going to pay out. Well, although, I will say, like, for the AAC, like, them losing that was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back on the AAC deal because correct. they were getting relegated largely to ESPN Plus. I think for them, like, I just think they have to reconsider uh, for football just, like, you go from facing like no, it's not amazing to face you know Tulsa and ECU um, and SMU necessarily uh, for your fans for the larger college football viewing public, but like now you're going to trade that in for like a potential like home and home in Las Cruces. Like, good luck with that, man. <laughs> like, like nobody is watching that game. Like, not a soul on either side. Yeah, it's it's uh, like I, I think a. They're, it's not like they're, they're fans that have sold. I mean, some of them just don't care. We have that. We have plenty of basketball fans who don't care about football at all. Um, but that's not all of them. Um, even the most vocal ones, like, were football fans. They decided to punt on football for the, for the basketball team, and I get that. I think it's going to be a little – I think it, they're, they're, they're underestimating how hard a pill that will be to swallow when their football program is still out there going three and nine against this hodgepodge independent schedule every year. Um, and it's – very like we there's a reason we we probably should have seen more programs 
drop FBS to FCS? It's in the last couple of years. How many is it? It's, it's, uh, who, it's just Idaho. Idaho is the only one that's ever done it. So that's a pretty big pill to swallow, especially when you are promoting yourself as this giant, you know, state, big state school, national titles in, in multiple sports, big athletic brand. Just dropping football to FCS is way harder said than done. I think it will happen. I just think it's going to be a hard pill for them to swallow. Um, and they're not going to want to do it. Uh, so this is, I, I think this whole arrangement very likely costs UConn more money than everything it was already costing them um, over the next couple of years. And like, I get, again, I get why they did this. It's just not an obvious arrangement. Like, and, and their fans are kind of spiking the football, no pun intended, without totally taking all of these things into account. Um, so we'll see. Uh you know, hopefully for them, their basketball program gets back to being, you know, competitive. Hopefully for us, they don't because it's really funny. Um, but it's this isn't, like, such the obvious move to me uh, as a non-UConn fan that all the UConn fans seem to think it is. Because it's not like their football program is just going away, even if they pretend like they don't care about it. And it's still going to cost them a ton of money to, to fund it. Um, and then losing it is going to be, like, it's going to be a big deal, and it's not going to look good. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I think even like looking back at some of the things I've written about it lately, like I, I've maybe been a little too optimistic and, and bought into the idea that this is not not a complete panacea, but, but that it, it it probably works. Like it could work in the short term, but like like you said, like all these big East schools aren't necessarily like rolling in cash, national exposure or anything else. Like Villanova is the school and, and, and right now everybody else is kind of lined up behind them. Uh, not to belabor this way extended UConn conversation <laughs> any longer, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, like you alluded to earlier, if for some reason UConn just like stumbles out of the gate, doesn't really get the the sort of level of recruit that they're looking for, finishes behind teams like Butler and Creighton in league play, like th- th- this could very much look like a, pr- a pretty dumb move. Uh, w- within a few years, especially when you look at, you know, what's going on in AAC where it's an improving league. Memphis is probably a top 20 team because Penny Hardaway is certainly the best recruiter on earth um, out of nowhere. Wink, wink. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> I, 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 how much are, are there prop bets currently going about, about a Penny Hardaway as Memphis's coach in a year? I think one year is too short just because the NCAA moves at this like crazy, like, Molasses pace, unless. What, what, what if they get to the final four? <laughs> I, I'd say he's gone within four, and I don't know what the reason for that is, but he's gone within four. I think Maybe if they get to the final years. four, I think if they get to the final four, it'll be two. <laughs> I just don't like the, the, the NCAA just doesn't like turn around and, and catch people without like significant legwork done before, and right now we haven't had any sniffs. And there's like, some plausibility as to why he got like a James Wise when he played for him and stuff. So, and like apparently Memphis, the town of Memphis is like a basketball hotbed all of a sudden. But um, yeah, again, it's hard not to be a little suspicious. Not that I particularly care. Um, like whatever. Go Memphis. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys want to be good. It's fine. It's very clear that there were more than like five college basketball schools cheating in the world. Um, and it's funny to watch them beat Kentucky for recruits. Really, really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like for UConn though, we'll, we'll see. It, I just, I'm, I'm very interested to see if this was all worth it in a couple of years, uh, with that football weight hanging over their neck. And I just, I, on paper, like I get the move. It's definitely, it's, it's more or less like a, a branding move, but I, I make it somehow feels like if you had like two cars, one of which just had a better name, but they both have the same specs and the same level of comfort and the same everything else and like you're paying like potentially more just to get like the slightly better name to impress some people for a little bit until they get used to that you have that car and then it is what it is um slash just nostalgia is not always like the best thing to to invest hard in because like it's gonna wear off and like just because they're playing in the big east like our we were their main rival in the big east i'm sure it's it's again what's better to play georgetown and like providence and and Villanova, but like they're not playing us. And I mean, they play us a lot, but they're not playing us in conference. They're not playing Pitt. They're not playing um, West Virginia, Louisville. Uh, so it's not the same. Um, so we'll see. They seem happy about it. Am I, am I here to rain on their parade? I get, I get why they're happy. 
Um, but uh, I'm very much not sold on this saving their basketball program, which could have been like Cincinnati was doing cruising right along at where they had already been. UConn fell off, and I don't think it was conference related. That's fair. Um, we'll have more on the AAC football league next week. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's I think that's good in the UConn conversation for for UConn fans that have tuned in. Um, sorry that we weren't as positive as maybe everyone else has been. Um, it happens. Uh, why don't we take a quick break for a sponsor? And we're back with a little uh, NBA draft postmortem uh, before we get to halftime. Dan, no Syracuse players were picked for the second straight year. That's a bummer. However, um, O'Shea Brissett and Tyus Battle uh, both ended up in some potentially decent situations. I know O'Shea ended up with the uh, you know Clippers summer league team, so not like a huge long-term commitment. I don't think that's a team that he really he'd be able to work himself into anyway because it's so full of shooters and young and potentially angling itself for you know a max player uh, this offseason. However, I think Tyus Battle, on the other hand, is uh, reasonably situated with Minnesota. He has some long commitment because he was actually signed um, as a free agent, and he will be participating in Summer League as a result of that. Um, I know Bobby did a great job breaking down kind of the contract situation and how he can work his way into potentially a two-way deal, uh, play some time with the Iowa Wolves, uh, in any case, like I, I think the opportunity for him auditioning with the with the Timberwolves is probably much greater um, th- than what O'Shea has, and I think in, in that case, Battle at the very least will have more opportunity to showcase his talent, even if it's not for the Timberwolves um, ultimately. Yeah, I think that's spot on. O'Shea, like the Clippers, are a really good organization. They really have their stuff together, especially in the last year, but especially if they don't land Twilight Leonard, who's been their main target um, and don't have to kind of give up some of those pieces for one reason or another, that's a really hard rotation to break into. There are just so many players that, that, uh, that have a role there um, that it's going to be really tough for him to really make an impact. Ty has definitely got the more open situation. The Wolves have some guys, but they could definitely use backcourt help if he can really uh, carve out a, ni- uh, a niche there. Um, and like you said, he has the better contract situation with like the essentially the, the two-way type of deal. Um, so he'll probably spend some time in the G League as well, but there's a more of a direct path for him to the NBA in pretty much all facets that O'Shea has. Um, but, you know, if O'Shea is able to impress over the next couple of months, like it does, it's not only the Clippers that he can play for. Like another team could sign him up, um, and hopefully they do. Yeah, I agree. A- anytime we can get more SU players in the league, uh would be great. I know Carmelo Anthony, an SU player in the league, is probably remaining in the league now, uh, since it seems like the Lakers uh, will be like mining the scrap heap for, for for talent. So Melo will be signing for a minimum deal, I'm sure, with the Lakers uh, this coming weekend. Play. They do actually. Yeah, and hopefully, like, hopefully Melo figures like out a role there because I'm still not so. A, he, we we brought it up the last couple weeks. He deserves so much better than how his career uh, to this point like stalled out. But B, like. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be like a, a huge, you know, even top five guy for a team like that. But there's no reason why he can't uh, carve out like a bench scoring role, play like 15, 18 minutes a game, hit some shots, open up the floor a little bit. I'd so, love that. I mean, I hate the Lakers, but but I, I'd happily watch a Lakers title if it meant Melo got a ring. Plus, yes. And plus, like, obviously, I, you know, people are very up and down on LeBron James, but like getting... Carmelo didn't have a chance to play with like one of his best friends in school, no matter how you slice it. So hopefully that happens, and hopefully he's able to to go out on a high note. Because uh, you know his NBA career, I think, is is way overly maligned for the player he's been, and he's a Hall of Famer, and he deserves to go out with like maybe not the full like Dwayne Wade type deal, but like he deserves like a moment at the end of a season to like wave to some fans somewhere. I think he deserves the Dwayne Wade deal because. Yeah, I think his legacy kind of matches up pretty similarly, both on and off the court. <laughs> like Wade, Wade landed with much better, with better teams. Oh yeah, Wade, Wade absolutely had better teams. Absolutely had a better supporting cast. You know, when he was part of the supporting cast, he also benefited from that. Like, I think Melo's Team USA, you know, accolades and and what he did at SU alone get him in the conversation for the Hall of Fame. I think what he did as a scorer in in the NBA for many many years. Um, puts him in in a pretty you know 
I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that that he's a Hall of Famer. Whether or not he's he's first ballot, we'll see. But I think he is a Hall of Famer. Um, I think what he's done off the court, you know, it, it, and he's not somebody who who likes to brag about it or talk to it, talk about it a ton. But he's somebody who's done a lot for done a lot for a lot of people um, off the court and continues to do so and continues to be. Um, you know, a great ambassador for the game, even though he is, you know, much maligned from plenty of uh, plenty of NBA fans. So, yeah, I, I think that he deserves every bit of the pomp and circumstance that uh, that that D Wade and, and Dirk got, and I hope he gets it, even if it's with uh, the Lakers. And in that case, I do hope that uh, that I get to see him out here at some point because we nice to see LeBron for one, but uh, it would definitely be nice to see Melo one last time in a in an NBA jersey. Yeah, and then we have, you know, we'll see what happens with Dion. I think he could end up moving this year. To um, the Lakers, maybe. maybe. <laughs> That'd be so funny. <laughs> um, Jeremy Grant is like, quietly become, like, one of the better role players in the NBA and had an awesome year with the Thunder and is going to be in the league for, like, 15 years. Um, you know, a couple other guys are bouncing around, so it's not a total not a total loss. We just need another superstar to uh, fill in for where Melo was. I'll take a couple more like first round picks that like stick because they end up in like workable situations. I think that's been one of the bigger problems. Like, you know, Lydon's an unrestricted free agent. He's not going to resign with the Nuggets. And he, him, him ending up on the Nuggets was, was a death knell for the beginning of his career. And we said it like that night. Yeah. That, we, I think we called it pretty, pretty well. Like there were so many guys at his spot. Um, so I don't even know where he is now. Is he still a Nugget? Like, well, he's still a Nugget technically. He's an unrestricted free agent. So like, until they like denounce his rights, oh, he's gonna be a free agent in a couple days. Yeah, he'll be a free agent in a couple days, no matter what. Um, I know Malachi signed with the Warriors summer league team. That's an interesting spot for him, and like I don't necessarily think he makes it, but I think that it at least the system provides a showcase uh, for him in a similar way to Ty's battles. I think there's gonna be a lot of guys on that team that like I know Kai Bowman's on that team too. Like it's gonna be a lot of shooters on that team. So if he can just hit at a reasonable clip, um, he could get some interest. Uh, I mean, in general, like this summer, it's going to be hard for like like guys like like Lydon, guys like Malachi, um, if Tyler Ennis is floating around or anything like that. Like you're, they're going to struggle to get early deals just because there's so many guys on the market because all those monster deals that were signed back in 2016 are now coming up. So th- th- there's a ton of veterans, a ton of shooters, guys who are looking to chase rings, guys who are going to be like once that first wave of free agents, you know, Kawhi, KD, Irving, uh, Kemba. Those guys, once those guys sign, then the team, those teams are going to see how much cap room they have left. Players who are chasing rings and playoff contention are going to be looking at, okay, you know, how much of a discount am I willing to take to end up on these teams and help fill out their rosters and needs? Uh, the Lakers obviously seem like they're going to try to do the three max deal thing and, uh, and and then fill out the rest with like you know guys playing for the minimum. So it's going to be a weird market. I I'm. I'm not super optimistic for for any of the SU guys that are like trying to like bust onto rosters, but who knows? Maybe somebody has a really impressive summer league and, and pulls it off. Yeah, I mean Malachi, like you said, like you alluded to, the uh, the the Warriors have are probably one of the better op- uh, opportunities, especially if KD ends up resigning there, which it sounds like is very much a fifty fifty proposition now. Because uh, he might come to my nets in a very. I, I I would say there's a twenty five percent chance he ends up back on Golden State. I would say there is a. 15, I would say there's a 50% chance, though, that he ends up getting signed and traded, which both of us should probably dread because it means gutting the team that he's going to. Well, it depends on how much, like, hey, I don't know if the Knicks are going to have that enough, like, to to really make an att- a super attractive offer. Maybe if you get rid of, like, Mitchell Robinson and uh, I don't even know what else. Like, Frank. Yeah, but he sucks. Um, but like I'm saying, but like, but, but I don't want those things to happen. <laughs> like, I'd right. much rather, like, in, in, that, in that case, I'd much rather just, nah, I'm cool, Durant. Like, you can go somewhere else, and I'll keep the team we have. I'll sign Julius Randle and like somebody else just to like make things look like mildly competitive this year. Draft another lottery guy next year, and then look like okay in 2020, 2021. Yeah, the Nets. It's like a concern. Like, I obviously want Kevin Durant. Um, I get why they're gonna make this gambit uh, that they're. It seems like they're going to at least try to make. Um, the reason the Nets were like pretty good this year is because they had so many guys who could play. Like there really wasn't a hole in the rotation at all. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't want that to uh, completely fall apart and then have to basically punt on this year with like the Kyrie Irving and whomever show. Um, 
So if it's a sign and trade, hopefully it's not too damaging, but that sounds like it's a pretty distinct possibility now as well. Yeah, I mean, KD, get your money, but at the same time, like you're, you're going to be directly inhibiting the team <laughs> that you're going to from getting better around you. Yep, so we'll see what he wants to do. Uh, but as, I, as we were... T- we have derailed there, but uh, as we were saying, if he does come out of Golden State, they have such a, a tricky situation that there are going to be open opportunities for guys on minimum deals, and uh, especially because he'll be out and Clay will be out for a lot of the year. If Malachi can find that shooting touch that he showed in high school, and then especially down the stretch of his his year Q's, like you know, it's not crazy to think he might be able to crack the roster as like the tenth, eleventh guy. He just really hasn't had a great opportunity, and the Raptors, where he was this year for at least part of it, like. They were, I mean, we all saw what they were in the NBA Finals. Like, they, all they had was role players, so there just wasn't room for him to, to maneuver there at all. Oh, absolutely. And, like, the Sixers dropping him suck, but the Sixers also weren't a team that could potentially carry him. Like, Sacramento, he looked really good for the Reno Bighorns, who are now not the Reno Bighorns anymore. I think they're just the Tahoe Kings or some shit. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, like, he, also, he looked fine. He was Sacramento at the worst possible time. He was, like, right at the end of them being just an absolute disaster. Right. Like, that's the thing. Like, I said, not, not to write excuses for all these guys. Like, there's plenty of players that end up in, like, crappy situations and, like, figure it out. But I do feel like a lot of the recent SU, like, first-rounders have just ended up in the dumbest and, like, worst situations. Yep. And that's and it's not an SU thing at all. Like, the NBA is so situation-based. Oh, 100%. Um, on that note, why don't we talk a little bit of beer? And then we can move on to the uh, featured topic of today, uh, Mountain West Football. Very different. Very interesting show we've had tonight. <laughs> um, yes, I haven't had too much new stuff uh, the last couple of weeks since I was last on. By the way, thank you for Andy filling in last week, and it ended up being really good timing because he is the uniform guy. Um, I had some Industrial Arts Splice. Not my favorite thing from them, but I do generally like everything they do. Uh, I had, uh, some, for the first time in a while, some uh, Does Anyone Remember Laughter IPA from Single Cut, which is excellent. And then I was in the, down the Jersey Shore last week and the week before, um, and I've had plenty of Tartan Boat beer, which uh, one of the best session IPDs out there. And we'll hopefully be having more of that over the next week where I'll be back down the shore for the fourth. Well done. Um, I didn't have much in the last week or so, uh, just because the, uh, the Salt Lake City trip stretched into like Tuesday. So took a little bit of time to just like chillax, let the old, uh, let the old liver breathe a bit. Uh, <laughs> Did have some uh, Stone Tropic of Thunder Lager. Uh, that's a go-to for me, the, the classic dad beer. Um, also had a bunch of, I was waiting for this one to come out, and I'm glad it, it, I caught it when it did. Uh, Pete's Port and Modern Times teamed up for a gentle reminder. It's a uh, kind of like a, I wouldn't say it's unfiltered West Coast IPA, but it was close. Um, and just a really, really good, uh, like clean drinking West Coast IPA. Uh, grab a six pack of that and had plenty of those. Uh, last weekend, also had a, uh, and I mentioned this one before too, uh, Beachwood's uh, Hayabusa um, rice lager. Uh, it's kind of just a Japanese style lager. Nothing special, but, you know, just clean, easy drinking. So nothing crazy for me. Hopefully I add some uh, some options this weekend. I know I'm uh, probably going to head up a brewery or two on my end. So we'll see. Maybe I have some better stuff to report next week. Yes, I'm going to try to explore more of the uh, New Jersey. I feel like it's having like a real beer moment the last like year and a half, two years. So I want to start to experiment with that more since I saw a lot more stuff, local stuff available down there uh, last week when I went to buy. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely felt like when I went to Salt Lake that, uh, that everything had like increased like tenfold from when I was there like three years ago. So I feel like everybody's really uh, going all in. I know my dad's down in South Carolina this weekend and like hit me up for like recommendations and like already had his own like list going of places he wanted to hit up. So it, it seems like everywhere, I mean, th- this could go terribly wrong for everybody, but it seems like everywhere is having a, a, a big beer moment. And uh, let's maybe pump in, pump the brakes a bit and let everybody breathe. Cause I don't want to see, I don't want to start seeing good brew. And this is a whole nother conversation, but I don't want to start seeing, good breweries go out of business because there's their market saturated with a bunch of like shelf tiered crap. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like, we're, we're definitely looking at some kind of unfortunate year where a bunch of places have to close, but for now I'm enjoying it. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that like Stone and Dogfish Head had to like merge, I feel like it's like a subtle, like subtle-ish warning sign. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there, it's definitely like a warning to like maybe, you know, not temper your expectations about growth and, and focus on like doing things well and de- grabbing an audience. Um, because otherwise, you know, there, it's not sustainable to have like as many places opening as they do. And like some of them are pretty, seem pretty content just kind of being local, local spots and like filling a, a like a bar niche or a local hangout niche. But you know, when, when all, if all these places try to like break into a bunch of markets, it's going to be a, a real issue. Agreed. We already saw some of that, but again, that, that, that that's an episode for another day. Maybe we'll have a, well, I don't even think Aaron writes about beer anymore. Um, he's just become like the, the foremost authority on whiskey, but if Aaron still wants to talk about beer, we're happy to have him on for an episode about that. Yeah, he's really he's really shifted over the last like three or four years. He and I talked about that a little bit once. Um, beer is just really hard to cover now because it's not about like standbys. I and mean, you know this, like it's all about like what's new right. and like what's on draft. And like you, you, anything you write about has got a two week shelf life, and like no one, no one that no one that'd be reading could find it anyway. Yeah, I mean, so much of, like, the best stuff's all, like, largely hyper-regional, like... Hyper-regional, like, very much, like, I stand-in-line beers and, and things that are released once a year. I mean, Monkish, case in point, other half, another one, where it's just, it's it's similar recipes, changed up a little bit. Um, there's nothing necessarily to review other than, like, hey, this is better or worse than the last one. Right. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think that was something, like, I talked to Aaron about, like, a couple of years ago, and... Just seemed like he he saw the tea leaves and things sooner than most of like where things were headed. So props to him. It makes sense, and I'm sure he's still uh, he's still enjoying a beer here and there. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit of Mountain West before we uh, before we wrap up today. We uh, some behind the scenes stuff. We uh, we had a free Uber conference line recently that we were operating on a 45 minute time limit on, and now we're not anymore. So. Now you're back to lengthy rambles on off-topic things. Congrats yeah. you. Not that we were like super uh, trying to avoid them the last couple weeks, but um, we just happened to like come in within the minute multiple. I think pretty much every episode we've done. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we've been like, oh, yeah, we're within 44 plus minutes uh, appropriately enough. Uh, we should probably stop. Yeah, so, so now we're back to free-flowing content. Um, Dan. Starting us off, why don't we just start at the top? Uh, who do you think wins these divisions? I, I know that there are, I feel like more than there has been recently, there's probably about four, maybe five contenders um, at, at the top of the Mountain West, but th- there's two obvious ones and then there's like a bunch of sleepers. But who, who are your picks to win the Mountain and West divisions respectively? Um, so this league is super interesting. It's always interesting. It's like one of, the, I think, one of the consistently most intriguing uh, leagues uh, in terms of talent, in terms of like how different these teams are um, this year, especially so because I feel like all of the major contenders have lost a ton, um, just across like between quarterbacks, coaches, etc. Uh, in the mountain, um, as tempted as I am to pick Utah State, uh, I just think Boise just has a, a pretty big talent upgrade, and Utah State is transitioning to their once their their former and once again new coach Gary Anderson. Um, from the Matt Wells era, which was just starting to hit its peak. He left for Texas Tech. So I'm going with Boise State just on the strength of their talent and their consistency. Um, and then in the West Division, and I love that they do the ACC naming uh, things, even though I think it works a little better for them. Well, there's um, at least like actual geographic things. <laughs> like Atlantic and Coastal, like are geographic, like like Atlantic and Coastal are two different types of geographic identifiers. Yes. And like, um, and, and then they decided not to actually adhere to them anyway. While this one, at least, is a clear, oh, these teams are in mountainy states, and these teams are not. Yeah, it just happens to work out that they have like a pretty stark breakdown between the, the, the coastal, uh, not to then make the further comparison to these, but the actual coastal teams in the West and the mountainous teams in the mountain. Um, they have a pretty nice stark sit-sits divide. Um, I guess with UNLVs kind of thrown into the West, but whatever. Um yeah, I, I, I want to go out on a limb and take Nevada. I think they bring back uh, a really interesting array of players. Um, I think San Diego State is just the better bet there. Uh, if you're not too freaked out by their late season collapse last season, I think Fresno just loses too much. 
Yeah, I, I, I think I think Fresno is going to be fine. I oh, feel I like Fresno. I don't see them winning the division. Yeah, I, I think Fresno is recruiting well. I think San Diego State. The the question for them, as always, is just like, what can you do besides run the ball? Um, that that's always San Diego State's thing. I think San Diego State. Um, should be pretty good in the secondary. I think the back seven in general is pretty good for them. Uh, the trenches will be a question. It, it, really, if they can get average-ish quarterback play, I think San Diego's an, an eight-nine win team. Um, I would pick them to win the West. I think, you know, Nevada. I'm. I question. I don't question much there, but I do question, you know, quarterback play and, and the offensive line. So really, like if. If they can get again, similar to San Diego State, I guess if they can get anything out out of the quarterback, you know that suddenly upgrades to maybe a, a six seven win team. Hawaii is always intriguing to me because I feel like uh, what's his name is it Rolovich? Rolovich. It is. It is Nick Rolovich. Uh, I feel like what he's put together there is actually like you know again it, it, this is on purpose. It's reminiscent of the old like really fun kind of slinging around the yard Hawaii teams, and I think that. You know, that's something that, that works here, especially in a division where San Diego kind of tries to be a little more ball control, and that's what makes the Aztecs interesting versus Fresno's air it out, Hawaii's air it out. Um, I think UNLV's tried a little bit more of that too, and, and, and that's a, this is really a critical year for them. In the mountain, I think Boise's one of the 20 or so most talented teams in the, in the country somehow, again. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see if they, if they can contend as maybe like unbeaten this year, I think whether they go unbeaten or not, they're probably your best bet to win uh, the uh, Access Bowl bid to the uh, to the New Year's Six. But we'll see. I'll, I'll maybe try to do some uh, some scouting of the turf when I'm up in Boise in uh, August. While I'm also drinking beer, obviously. I'm jealous of that. I've heard Boise is a really, really good time, and there's just like uh, no great excuse to get up there, except for a football game, but it's not the easiest place to get to. Um yeah, like it's just uh, San Diego State. Going back to San Diego State, um, I read that they were going to maybe be using more spread elements this year, which is super interesting. I think they'll they'll probably still be very run heavy. Um, There's no way that they had the personnel to be more spread to be more spread focused. I see them like an Oregon spread. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll also be running running the ball. I think they're just probably going to mix up the the looks they're giving people. Um, but they still have like their host running backs. They bring in Red Bell from Nebraska who. Uh, had some pretty decent performances even last year, but then he kind of got benched and left um, very abruptly. Um, I think they, they they bring in, I think, an Oregon transfer and a BYU transfer on the offensive line to put some balls, and they have a decent amount of experience otherwise. So I, I definitely think we'll be running the ball, but we might see like uh, some more complex looks uh, in terms of getting guys into space versus last couple of years where I think they've, they've started to hit like a, a bit of a, a skid in terms of the effectiveness that they've been able to run the ball with. Fair. I mean, uh, I know, I don't know how much you watched their bowl game against army. They got, uh, uh, was that two, wasn't Ohio this past year? Oh yeah, you're right. It was Ohio this past year. Two years ago it was army. I felt like that one was indicative of maybe like where, where they have to grow a little bit in the trenches uh, where, yeah, they just got really pushed around by, by, by the black Knights there. And I, I think you're right. I think people figured out San Diego State in the in the conference a little bit. Um, I, I think too, like San Diego, and, and, and I know Bill C. R.I.P. P.A.P.N. First first go around anyway. Um, I feel like you know San Diego should be able to out recruit everybody in this conference, and instead they're like kind of middle of the pack. Um, the fact that Utah State and like Colorado State and Nevada all like out recruited them is odd. Uh, in this past cycle, but yes, San Diego can keep adding transfers like that. Um, it's going to at least, you know, stop the bleeding a little bit, but I, I, I'm starting to get a little concerned. Like I like Rocky long a lot and I think he's done great, great things for San Diego and he's kept things going um, after Brady Hoke left, but he's kind of entering that territory of like slightly diminishing returns, but not enough to fire him. <laughs> and like, what, I guess what's the ultimate expectation for, for the Aztecs? Are they supposed to be, you know, the, I, I think they're supposed to be the best team in the West every year. I think that they have the ability to be, you know, the best team. I think that the recruiting pitch should be the easiest to go there than anywhere else. I mean, you step foot on campus, you're not too far from the beach. There's volleyball, sand volleyball courts, you know, right off the quad. Like, there's, there's plenty of things to like um, about SDSU. I, I, I'm just never going to understand why they're not better at this. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no, like you said, and obviously I don't have the same connection to San Diego as you do, nor do I have the experience at West, although I have been to San Diego. It's lovely. Um, I don't know, like, there's no reason why they shouldn't be uh, an annual top recruiter in the Mountain West. Like, it's an unbelievably gorgeous, perfect weather city. Uh, and they're the only, like, football team in town now. Um, I don't know how their fan support is. You can definitely, you know, chime in more there. Um, but Better now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like there, there's there's just not a huge reason why they wouldn't be able to sell like even some like margin like borderline power five kids. I'm like, yeah, you could go to Kansas or you could come out here and play in perfect weather and actually um, win games. Win games. You're still going to have a chance to make the NFL. Um, you can, you know a pretty decent stage in the Mountain West. Like you'd think that there'd be more of that. Um, but and the Rocky Long things, he's what six, nine, seven years old now, so he's he's done an unbelievable job, unbelievable job there. Uh, but he's right in that that realm of like he's such a huge part of the program, but you can kind of see the cracks now. Uh, not totally. I mean, he's not quite as important to them as uh, like Bill Snyder was at Kansas State, but kind of a similar thing where you can't run him out. But um, and he has a sale named after him, so it's a little less drastic. But you, you, you want to do everything you can to to see how long he can stay um, because running him out is just a really tough proposition. Um, that being said, I don't think they're anywhere near that desperate yet. No, definitely not. But I do think that, like, if Hawaii keeps moving up, if Nevada has a good season, like, the, the, there's a very quick route to San Diego State going from, you know, contending for first, maybe falling to second, to being, like, fourth. And really, like, I, I, at this point, like, I don't know if that UNLV resurgence is ever happening or, I guess, surge to begin with because they never really have been that good at football. But, you know, with the Raiders stadium uh, replacing the old stadium for UNLV, like, they're going to have access to, to better resources and potentially much better venue than, like, all the other teams in the, in the conference. Like, I don't really know what happens with the Rebels, uh, just based on just like the fact that Tony Sanchez has had all this promise that he's never really cashed in. The program is all this promise that they've never really cashed in. I know not to, you know, throw too much shade at them, but the, the academic profile necessarily of UNLV isn't so stringent where like, you know, they, they, they can't take some risks on kids. So, I mean, again, there's definitely a, a possibility for UNLV and, and probably everybody but San Jose State to, to jump up and, and knock the Aztecs down a peg if they slip. You know, I, I do think that after long leaves, and maybe while Long's still there, they maybe try to install his, like, coach and waiting that that takes over this offense and finds a way to run an Oregon-type system um, that, that is, like, a run-type spread. Because I think that, you know, don't abandon the, the uh, you know, running back you kind of thing that you've got going. I think that's a great brand to have. And there's not really a whole lot of, uh, like, group of five programs that have a brand necessarily. Um, they're one of them. So lean into it, but I think you can lean into it while also leaning into some more modern elements. And maybe that's what they're doing this year. Um, but I, I more so than normal, even for me, uh, I am interested to see what happens to the Aztecs over the next three to four years. Yeah. I mean, they're a very compelling program. We saw them almost take the jump when they were, and this is hilarious. And now we're supposed to join the big East with Boise state, right? Yeah. Almost a thing that happened. We almost made the Big East more ridiculous and stupid. But then um, it was even dumber because then, like, then there was like rumblings for like months that they weren't going to join. Like, everyone's like, "Oh, we haven't heard anything about this in a while." And then they're like, "Yeah, we decided not to." They basically there, there was basically the rumblings came very quickly too, if I remember correctly. Like, well, like a month there, later, there was not that much time where it seemed like a lock that they were joining up, and that was right before we left too, right? That was like, uh, if. If memory serves, mm, no, we had like we'd already announced we were leaving. Okay, so we'd already announced we were leaving, but we hadn't officially we hadn't like left left yet because I remember I was talking to my father in law about it at my brother in law's graduation at SDSU, and like we were talking about it like oh yeah like that was the last season of like so that was twenty twelve. Like, like, oh, yeah, that was the last season of, like, Mountain West football for San Diego. And then we were like, yeah, but, like, nobody's, like, addressed it. Like, we're just, like, kind of sitting here. And, like, nobody's really making any statements about it. It was getting, like, June. Like, nobody – like, usually that's, you know, the, the conference, like, turnover. Like, July 1st is, like, when the new year starts. Yeah, you have these big conferences and you, like – Yeah. And, like, nobody said – no. San Diego to New York City or for some reason. And 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, nobody said anything about this <laughs> about this conference switch. And I think by like that, by like within like a couple of weeks of that, and they're like, yeah, now nah, we're good. So I, we I, 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 go. I think that, that San Diego State and Boise, like it's like kind of got pressured into it, and then they just kind of dosed to the Big East, and they never really brought it up again. <laughs> the Big East, like, oh, you guys are coming, right? Uh, yeah. It's like uh, it's like a text message thread that's like seventeen straight messages from the Big East. Over course of months, guys, you're coming, right? You ready? <laughs> it just it, it was just UConn and like you up. <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't remember exactly what the time was. Like we thought we might have like a season with them, which I guess is the case, or if uh, if they were coming, but then we left very you know we had the our our move to the ACC happened kind of very abruptly, um, just one night, a couple hours before we played USC. Um, and I, I couldn't remember exactly how those things shook out. But, yeah, that was the thing that was going to happen. Um, and luckily for them, it didn't because now they'd be stuck in the AAC, which is probably better than the Mountain West, but it's not so much better that you want to, like, go play tra- travel to play ECU every year. Um, not, not ECU, but, I mean, if you had to pick between, you know, shipping over to Reno every year or, like, going to – Dallas and Houston. It's probably not the worst idea to just like take the West division, throw it into the mountain West, get rid of the shitty teams and like reform. I mean, that wouldn't be the worst part, but like the crossover games would be. Oh yeah. It'd be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Headed up to stores, headed over to uh, Philadelphia. Like none of those things seem like how many planes do you think it would take to get from San Diego to Greenville? Oh God. Yeah. That's, that's what I was like. (laughs) Like, It it takes to get from like New York to Greenville. It takes like, you can't fly there. Uh, you basically have to drive like four hours from somewhere. You can you can fly to Charlotte, and then there's a sh- and there's a hopper from Charlotte to Greenville, I think. Fun. But yeah, that you're still because I, I have experience, obviously, in that part of North Carolina. Um, they're about I think like a, they're like an hour and a half from my parents. Um, yeah. Usually, I, usually I just fly into Raleigh and then drive, versus the uh, the alternative. But underratedly remote school and that's probably and we're not going to go into it super hard because we're talking about them next week but like probably one of the main reasons why they've had trouble recently um yeah it's uh a fascinating to think about i, I do wonder what like if they and this will never happen because you'd just be leaving a lot of schools like on the scrap heap but if you just took like the best mountain west and ac teams and put them in, in a league they were going to do that uh was it them and cusa they were going to do that whole this is another fun realignment thing Remember that, like, they were going to do, like, the 2018 league or whatever the hell it was? That was just us. I don't know. That never really got that far. No. Yeah, there, there was another thing that, like, just died on the vine where they were, like, talking about it. And, like, they're like, yeah, we're doing this. And everyone wrote about it. And then, like, six months later, they're like, yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> no, it's not what you are to do it. Uh, it, was really, it was really stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, one of those things that sounds cool when you think about it. And, like, you have 12 games. Like, who's going to play? Well, their thing was like, oh, we're just going to have our seasons and then like do some random like non-conference games. And then and then we're, we're going to actively try to knock one of our teams out of group uh, New Year's Six contention <laughs> with a championship game for a mega conference that doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it though, like a 12-team league. So you have UCF, you have Cincy, you have Houston, you have Memphis, you have USF. Um, Navy. Probably Navy. And then, and there you're done. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna say Tulane, but you know. I mean, I mean, I mean Tulane can join the, AC, the ACC. They can, they can take Wake's spot. <laughs> and then you have Boise, you have Fresno, uh, you have San Diego State, probably Utah State, Air Force. and Air Force, and you're done. Yeah. Like that's a pretty interesting league, and that's obviously a fun league. will fall to the bottom. Like we've seen Air Force struggle recently. Um, We've seen Utah State struggle semi-recently. But you had Air Force and Navy. You, you, you had Air Force, Navy, Boise alone. You, you, you have a TV contract. And honestly, if you get Air Force and Navy, you can probably get Army to join. Yeah. I mean. Maybe not because they haven't had great luck when they join conferences. Like, they're doing pretty well as an independent. And yeah, I they, think they'd be fine. Going back to the UConn conversation, very different situation for Army scheduling because they can – they have, like, that, that – being Army gives you clout. Um that other programs of that ilk just will never get. Um, it's just way easier for them to build a schedule because teams like to play Army. They bring a specific fan base. They bring, like, you're never going to get criticized for playing Army even when they're bad. Um, just a whole different experience. But uh, anyway, like, 
they probably maybe they wouldn't, but you could probably float it. Uh, having having you know you take uh, Navy and Air Force off of the non-conference thing, so that it opens up more spots for me to, to. I mean, it gives them more flexibility than joining most conferences would in terms of scheduling. But either way, you could build a very interesting like Frankenstein conference and then send Wesley schools back in into like a you know more Western version of. I guess you just restart the big the the whack. You just restart the WAC, or you yeah invite up the best big sky schools or whatever the hell you want to do. Restart the WAC, you reinvite uh, New Mexico State, um, you save them. Um, you invite Liberty because whatever. Yeah, or Liberty gets <laughs> well. Actually, no, you don't invite Liberty. You leave them to die. In the <laughs> you leave them to die. You invite UConn because, of course. That would be the best. That would be the best ending for them. It's like basically being in a glorified big sky, and they have to like go on the road and face like Idaho, like. Every year, Idaho back up because Idaho started actually playing well right before they got they they dropped down. They made a they won a bowl game, I think. Right, that was their last team in FBS. They won a yeah, bowl. The, um, the, with uh, with with one of the Petrino uh, is the Petrino. Uh, yeah, Paul, insane Petrino um, versus just creepy Petrino. <laughs> yeah, Paul, Paul, oh, Paul, who somehow saved his job, and I'm gonna try. This is a horrible transition. Um, I have notes that, like, I take when I read through, like, Bill C stuff and everyone else's stuff as I prepare for this. Um, my one note for New Mexico, how is Bob Davies still employed? Zero clue. You and I were talking about this, like, after news ha- broke. Because I think, like, I think we had this episode, like, within a week of that news breaking. And we were both like, yeah, n- no chance. Like, no chance he's still there. And, yeah, he's still there because... A, hasn't done that well. He's done well relative to them, but not that well. B, and that's not the most important thing, but that is the first thing that college football think, teams will think of. B, had a racism scandal. C, had a player abuse scandal. Uh, and I think D, had a – maybe player abuse wasn't it. Maybe it was just a sexual assault. But he had all those things all at once and kept his job because people just didn't notice, really. Like, he got talked about. This and, is one of the only jobs you can pull that off. And then plus New Mexico had, a, had its own scandal where they were like – like they had people going over to like Ireland on the school's dime and like playing golf and stuff. So like, what? <laughs> I think it's obvious that, that Bob Davy like owns a Indian Indian barrel ground or or some sort of, or maybe he just owns the, the university and like it was a private transaction that we never like discussed publicly. Maybe that maybe that was part of like Notre Dame getting out of whatever contract they still owed him when they fired him. <laughs> so like you now own the University of New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, there's a Notre Dame owned New Mexico the entire time, which is why they were bad. And then at some point he's like, Oh, I want to coach again. I have this school that I've been the the private owner of, even though it's a ostensibly a state university. This all yeah, makes I, sense. Yeah, I, I bought I bought I bought Lobos futures and, and now 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 those are showing up. Uh, I mean it is it is a southwestern state school so he probably owns futures in something because that's how they pay all of their coaches <laughs> um, I guess, Arizona, Arizona state. um he's wrapping up the mountain west um who do you think wins this league i think it's boise yeah i'm defaulting to boise but like they they have to re- uh, replace brett rippon so that's really hard he was a great quarterback for them for four years um and they lose a decent amount of other stuff you know through here and there so they're not a super obvious winner, aside from the fact that they're just the consistent name and they probably have the highest talent level. So I'm going with Boise, but like I could see, honestly, I could see Fresno if they um, just reload quicker than people think. I could see uh, Nevada in like a, re- a really weird situation. I could see San Diego State. I could see Utah State. Um, I could even t- talk myself into Hawaii because I love Cole McDonald and I, I enjoy their offense, but probably not. Fair. Yeah, I, I'm going with Boise as well. I think it's. Uh, I think they're just too talented comparatively. I think that the the teams that should be able to challenge them just just have fallen back a little too much. Just don't have as much talent on, on the field by any means. I think it's Boise's to lose, and 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 I do again, like I mentioned, I do see them as, as the very likely um, G five representative in the year six. But we shall see. Like I said, I'll uh, I'll scope things out on campus. What was uh, oh, they was the last time they played the uh, was the last time they won that spot the first year of the college football playoff where they played mm-hmm. on Arizona. Yeah, is that Arizona game because since then UCF's gotten two of those spots and then Western Michigan got the other one. I think that's right. Yeah, it's, it's been four. Uh, no, it's been five, including the boys one. So that sounds. No, I think we're missing one. Houston. Houston, right? 
Houston beat Florida State in that uh, Peach Bowl. Yeah, Western Michigan lost to Wisconsin, uh, and then UCF the last two years. Yeah, so so it's been a bit, but they've been just consistent. Like their worst years are like 10, 10 and two years. So that sounds fun. Let's yeah, let's do that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Shout out! Right. I, hope, I hope everyone got. Uh, I hope everyone found their way to New Jersey this week and got Syracuse at uh, five and a half wins at the uh, FanDuel over unders because it, it went up at one win like in less than a day. It's now six and a half. I checked today. I said on the comment thread, I said seven and a half is probably the right line for to encourage enough action on both sides. Yeah, I think I would have said it at seven, um, just baking in like the normal Syracuse skepticism. But like somewhere in that in that range, it's six and a half now. It might keep on going up. I didn't notice any others that changed in one day. So I think um, probably thanks to Barrett Salee saying you should put all of your money that you have on this. Um, Everyone did. Yeah, like and obviously we're homers, but I it's very hard to find less than six wins on the schedule. Like it could happen if something horrible happens, but it, highly you know, unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I think we're probably going to be a bowl team worst case scenario, which is the first time I thought that in a long time. Um, so unless like some something very very like Syracuse of yesteryear happens this year, I I, I feel pretty good about the the couple uh, the couple dollars I put on it. So hope everyone got to New Jersey and was able to to you know put their mortgage on that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, that was it for this week. That was Dan. I'm John. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, on Spotify. We're on a bunch of other places now. It's pretty good. Um, hope if you have an NBA team that they sign exactly who you want them to sign and no one else this weekend. And go orange. Go orange. <laughs>